Hello and welcome to Recovery, where East meets West, and we learn through Buddhism and psychology how to deal with mental health and health issues. And now for your host, Dr. Tyler Woods and Sharon Francis. Hi, I'm Sharon Francis. And this is Tyler Woods, and welcome to Recovery, where we talk about Buddhism and mental health. You know, Sharon, I love Buddhist psychology. Over the years, it's really helped me um, deal with the ups and downs uh, in people's life as a psychotherapist. And the truth is, is I wish I had taken it more seriously when I was younger so I could have helped my own self as I faced a number uh, of life challenges. However, I get that living in a fear-based culture affects our state of mind and the decisions we make. And I have learned through Buddhism that life is not a thing that can be broken than fixed. Life is a process and we can never solve a process. So we can only participate in this process by either consciously or unconsciously attending to our own process. I agree completely, Tyler. And that brings up our topic today, which is anxiety. You know, worry and anxiety are just a part of life. In Buddhism, worry is among the five hindrances to enlightenment. The fourth hindrance is often translated as restlessness and worry, which we call anxiety. Quickly passing worries are a normal part of life, and anxiety conjuring up a variety of misfortunes, mm. most of which will never come to pass, um, means an unquiet mind that mm -hmm. cannot settle peacefully into the present moment. Yep. When we're anxious, we're either thinking about things that have already happened over which we have no control at all, or things that will probably most likely never happen, but we're wasting the gift that is the now, and that is why we no call it the present. the present. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, some people get anxiety and fear confused. So I want to explain that anxiety is often understood as being like a fear, but fear and anxiety are entirely different concepts and experiences. For instance, fear is the body's reaction to actual dangerous or frightening situations. It's how our fight or flight mechanism kicks in. Whereas anxiety is a psychological perception of danger brought about by too much anticipation or speculation of future events or situations that may or may not even happen. Yeah, I think we most need to understand that with anxiety, mindfulness should come first and foremost. Yeah. The first thing one needs to do is be conscious and acknowledge that you're worrying and probably about something that has not happened and may never happen. Yep. Um, I used to tell my mother all the time, you're wasting your worry. And when something actually happens that you need to worry about, you're not going to have any left. That's true. And that was a joke, but she tended to have a lot of anxiety, and she perseverated like that all the time. Yeah. And I think our perseverating minds are the source of most of our anxiety. Well, I think you're right that your only reality, really, that we have is the very present moment. Um, if you're doing the laundry, for instance, or doing something at work, then let there be nothing else in the universe but what you're doing. In other words, whatever is at hand is where your attention or energy should go, period. If you do it that way, there's no room for worry and anxiety. 
and especially if you work with people, if you're working with people and that person is in front of you and you're attending to all these other thoughts in your mind, you're not giving any respect to the person that you're working with. I, I have to bring myself back to that thought constantly during the day because I work with people as a nurse and it's not fair for me to work with another person and not be present. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's about what Buddhist psychology is. It's it's the instructions for the transformation um, of our, our our mental attitude. You know, the Buddhist uh, he instructed his followers, um, kind of like a skilled carpenter who removes these coarse pegs by knocking it out with a fine one. So a person removes a pain-producing thought by substituting it with a beautiful thought. So I can say, I'm no good. I'm bad. I'm this. I'm that, and and the truth is, if I say, I am good, I am beautiful, um, we get to substitute uh, and, and do something different, which is like a, re a mantra almost. It's like a repeated practice. And it's also um, the law of attraction. It's Absolutely. a scientific oh, yeah. principle mm -hmm. that anything you say after the word I am creates such strong interaction in the universe, it will bring you exactly well, it, what you say you it are. It becomes our biology. Absolutely. And Buddha acknowledged that too and, and basically said whatever we think is what we become. All that we are is a result of our thoughts which drive our feelings, which motivate our actions. You know, and I think it's important that, you know, you're talking about this and you're talking about the uh, law of attraction, we're talking about Buddhism, and I think that what's important is that we stop judging ourselves. That would, is what I would call self-compassion. But that we can see our thoughts, um, and if they're not productive, and it's creating pain and suffering, then let go of that attachment. You know, out of compassion for ourselves, we can become deliberately aware of the states that arise from our negative thoughts. Instead of ignoring them, or judging or being lost in them, why not be careful and notice what you're doing without judgment? And that can actually uh, train your mind. Yeah. As you move in the direction of waking up or trying to be conscious and mindful, you increase your tolerance more and more and open your mind and you'll eventually see, feel, and experience um, your anxiety in a different way because you'll be more aware of it. Yeah. And you'll have positive ways to reduce your suffering. You know, and so when your mind starts to think of events where you know that there's triggers or anxiety, uh, like let's say um, calling your mother when you're hungry, you know, and, and you know, and we can become hangry. Well, instead, why don't you just welcome or acknowledge them as a positive way instead of doing the negative start to worry. So I might go, ooh, I'm really hungry and I need to call my mom. Maybe I'll eat first. And that's this practice that you do. Is It's the constant practice of acknowledging that your worries eventually make them less important and they'll pass through you quicker than before and just become a habit. One thing I like to say to myself when I'm having negative thoughts is, for instance, I will say, Feelings of anxiety are arising in me because I'm having negative thoughts. I like to make that scientific connection in my brain. It kind of normalizes the experience oh, for me. Yes, yes. And helps me to feel like I, I have ownership over it and, and like I'm 
I'm the boss of it, not the other way around, well, if that makes any sense at all. What you're talking about is self-compassion. Absolutely. You know, and, and really, I think the cure for anxiety would be the Buddhist approach to self-compassion. Because by offering the intention and understanding and the kindness in your moments of um, distress with anxiety, um, you start feeling better. Yeah, and another technique is to use your breathing. Breathing exercises are a simple but effective way to relieve tension, stress, and anxiety and to refocus um, your thinking back to the now, back to the here and now. It's been used by Buddhists to, um, to meditate for forever. Yeah. And whether it's meditation or whatever, it's your self-thoughts, the constant practice of acknowledging your worries eventually make them less important. And we start moving on to bigger, better things. Almost like a desensitization type therapy yeah. or a, um, what do you call that, um, exposure therapy. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. And you were talking about breathing. And I think it takes us into mindful meditation practice. And I know that's not the cure-all for anxiety, though you, you have to realize that um, scientifically, uh, research after research after research has shown that meditation does change the gray matter in the brain, which, uh, which you know, makes your brain more resistant to anxiety and depression. Now, if you're a beginner and you're sitting doing a sitting meditation, like we said in the last show, uh, they tell you to sit for 15 or 20 minutes. But if that makes you nervous, then just sit for five minutes or even two or three minutes. The key is just to get into the habit. You're never going to be safe. All things constantly change. Nothing's permanent. You know, the three universal truths state that everything is impermanent and changing. So this is life. This is the price of being a human being. It's not a flaw. Although many people cannot let loose of seeing it as a flaw, it's just the way life is constructed. Life is life. People die, people get hurt, we have broken hearts, and we don't have to have anxiety around it. When your awareness of this vulnerability is triggered, you can be swept into panic, collapse into depression, or just try to distract yourself like we talked about earlier. One of the values of a spiritual practice is that you become able to come to terms with the anxiety in a conscious manner. Mm. And your life becomes more integrated because you're no longer trying to deny or avoid it. And I think that's a key point right there. I think that's important and I think people need to come to terms that, you know, I, I think anxiety, it's okay to have certain degrees of anxiety. But when we have it as a disorder where it prevents us from functioning, it prevents us from working, it prevents us from really doing the things we want to do, then taking a Buddhist approach to anxiety really will help. And speaking of help, I'm off to help somebody, Sharon. So this is Tyler Wood saying walk in peace. And this is Sharon Francis saying don't forget to breathe.